Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's trade deadline season, and I've got the Bleacher Report's Jake Fisher to give us all the lowdown on what trades may or may not go down, and we'll even try to have some fun with this. Let's roll. All right, and I'm back with the Bleacher Report's Jake Fisher. Thank you. Aloha. Mahalo. Um, no, I think I'll, I'll leave it. The, the, the thing I learned the most from my time in Maui was when you, when you know better, you do better. Um, I appreciated that. Um, m- my girlfriend and I took that back with us to the States. So um, with that, I'm going to try to do better than I performed here. My, not that I did poorly, but uh, than my last time on the big board. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I really appreciate you having back. And last time you were on the big board, we talked about this. Uh, Built to Lose, your new book. Uh, it's a fantastic read for people that haven't read it yet, and especially people who are interested in the NBA draft, because this is really talking about Philadelphia 76ers tanking. Uh, so much really great reporting and intel in here. And one of the reasons I have Jake on the show today is he's been absolutely crushing it as far as reporting intel around the trade deadline. You can see on the book that he's deeply sourced. And you're seeing that as well on the Bleacher Report stuff. You can go over there, I think, several times a week right now and, and find updates on stuff that's happening in the trade deadline. And we, we want to make this timely, but not also irrelevant if a trade goes down while we're recording in the next couple of days. So we're recording on a Wednesday, uh, talking uh, about some of the trade deadline stuff. And I actually kind of want to start and pick up where your book uh, really was coming from, because Ben Simmons becomes a big part of Philadelphia, the 76ers, tanking Joel Embiid. You cover all of that in in great detail um, in your book. And I I know there's been thousands of podcasts on what's been going on with with Ben Simmons. And let's, let's start with what you're hearing, the most recent of what you're hearing about him. But then I want to get into a little bit more about just trade strategy and what are the 76ers thinking right now? Because it's, um, I think most people are surprised, or at least I, I've been surprised that Ben Simmons is still a member of the 76ers and that there's a, at least a decent chance that he'll remain a member of the 76ers past the, past the trade deadline. So let, let's start there. Ben Simmons, does he get traded before the February 10th trade deadline, Jake? Before my answer, I'll, I have to give the obligatory thank you for the kind introduction. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a really strong opportunity for him to not get moved. And to be honest, you asked for the latest I've heard. I haven't called anybody really about that situation since Monday, which like this is a day-to-day thing, right? I'm not checking in day-to-day anymore because I really, I mean, all along from the start, I know you just mentioned you, you kind of would be surprised. They've signaled very clearly, very loudly, they will only move Ben Simmons when that all-star caliber player, that top 25 guy, the, the partner for Joel Embiid that will be the partner to help him win a title, not this year, but for the next four years, the, the, the remaining length of Ben Simmons' contract, until that guy becomes available, they've never shown that they will have any interest in moving Ben, regardless of if it would quote-unquote waste the season of, of Joel Embiid. I think Joel Embiid playing on an MVP caliber level is even him auditioning himself to the James Hardens and the Bradley Beals of the world and saying, you know, come play with me when you're when you're a potential free agent next summer. They the Sixers have maintained from the finish that or from the start, and they will until the finish, um, that ownership, 
Doc, Joel, the front office, they're, they're all on the same page. They're all aligned and holding out on moving Ben if if until you know that that big package comes and presents itself and i don't think the sacramentos and the atlantas and the indianas and the, and the timberwolves i don't think any team that's really had a consistent conversations with philly i don't think they can present an offer that the sixers would take right now okay so that's really interesting that seems to be the, the consensus right now from a strategic standpoint uh, a lot of analytics people have criticized coaches in the past for pulling a guy um, out of a game when you have two fouls or, or, or three fouls and, and essentially paying the penalty uh, for the picking up the extra fouls by not, not playing him. It, it just makes more sense, right? To not pay the penalty that they might foul out. I wonder if there's an analogy here, right? You've, you've set up, you've gotten zero for Ben Simmons this entire season. You may go an entire season of getting zero for a 25 year old all-star. The worst possible deal that you can get is zero, right? Like you get zero in value back for Ben Simmons. And it seems like the Sixers are gaming. They're going to go an entire season of getting zero, which then affects whatever trade outcome they came because you have to factor that into. They went an entire season with zero. And they're banking on that at some point in the summer, James Harden, Damian Lillard, Maybe Bradley Beal. I, I think those are probably the three guys that, that you hear most often uh, of the players that they're interested to. That one, either the team is going to be willing to trade them. And in James Harden and Bradley Beal's case, they're, they're, they're free agents uh, in the summer. However, the Sixers don't have the cap space uh, to, to just sign them outright, which means that there would have to be an agreement on a sign-in trade uh, for uh, you know Brooklyn or Washington or what have you. Is this a good... Is this a good strategy that I'm holding out hope for really one of three guys, it really really seems like, and I'm going to lose an entire season uh, of trade value for him? And you talked about the next four seasons with Joel Embiid. Damian Lillard and James Harden, given their age, I'm not sure they're at a championship level of, of talent for the next four years. They certainly are today, uh, but not for four years. So does this strategy make any sense? I guess is my question. Yeah, I, I, it's very valid. I think if if it nets Bradley Beal or Jalen Brown, that's another name that's on their list. And you know, Celtics fans will cry that us media types bring up Jalen Brown's name because we want it to happen, or we're just parroting for rival executives. But teams like the Sixers aren't targeting those players if they don't think there's a realistic opportunity for that player to become available, right? It's just, it's a waste of time. It's, it's a waste of manpower to start making Intel calls to the people as much as the people who can get as close to Jalen Brown as possible. You know, it, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only, there's, there's a lot of plate. There's a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of different workloads on these, on these executives workplates, And, and they need to, you know, really d- divide that time from college scouting to the pro level. Like, the teams only investigate these players, Donovan Mitchell stuff in Utah. Like this stuff only comes up when they have a realistic opportunity and, and these teams are hearing Intel and then they're telling us that Intel that it could become a reality in the near future. So I want to, I want to kind of send that out to the Twitter trolls as well, but I, I agree with you in that there are limitations to the strategy. And I think for both sides, talk, talking to Ben Simmons people as well, 
it, it would have benefited Ben, I think, in the totality of his career, in the totality of his trade value, if his goal is to primarily get traded, which obviously it is, they want him to get dealt before the deadline. Like they would have increased their odds if he was on the court. It would have made the Sixers better. It would have probably further lubricated the Sixers opportunities to move Ben right now as well. There are there have been some positives. I think it's it's obviously dramatically benefited Tyrese Maxey in a player development standpoint, being the full kind of lead ball handler there. And he's emerged as a legitimate kind of all-star caliber player in his own right. Not right now, but that seems to be somewhere in his future, right? Based off of the flashes he's shown. Not sure if that would have happened if Ben was in the fold and, and on the ball as much as he has been in the past. And not that it would have never happened, but to, at, at this speed and at this magnitude where if you are building a championship team, having a starter, an all-star caliber guy on a rookie scale contract is massive in terms of all the cap gymnastics. That's probably the only benefit to the situation for all sides. I, I agree with you. As much as, I, as I've thought all along the Sixers were going to hold firm and I thought their logic was sound, it, it, does, it is flawed in a certain extent where it hasn't necessarily benefited them and it hasn't really given other teams more reason to up their offers anyhow. Yeah, and it, it, you look at this, and I, I agree that I think Ben Simmons and, and maybe his camp obviously – didn't calibrate this right. I think they thought they had leverage that they didn't have, or maybe it's working with Daryl Morey or what what have you. It hasn't benefited Ben uh, to to sit out uh, and and have the issues that he has. I think it's lowered his trade value, which isn't great for him or uh, for the 76ers. So what changes over the summer is my question, right? If, if the Celtics aren't willing to send Jalen Brown now, what changes over the summer? If Portland hasn't really liked the idea of Ben Simmons, a Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard deal. What changes over the summer? Maybe Damian Lillard asks out, but I don't actually think, that at least nothing that I've heard of, has Damian Lillard insisting that it has to be Philadelphia um, th- that, that he goes to. In fact, everything that I've heard is that he would prefer a move to the West Coast uh, or, or to stay on the West Coast if he has a deal. So it's not like Portland only has one team. That that they can deal with if it's uh, if it's Damian Lillard, and the James Harden and Bradley Beal situations are a little different in that if those players refuse to sign with their teams and ask for a sign in trade, it does force the Nets hands or the or the Wizards hands a bit that they want some sort of value um, in return. Does does Daryl just have? And it seems like Harden is the guy that Daryl has some sort of knowledge or some belief that that is exactly what Harden is going to do that he's going to that he is going to demand uh, a sign-and-trade to Philadelphia this summer. It's, it's, are all the eggs in that basket right now? I don't think all the eggs are in that basket. I do think that it's not just Philly. There, there are teams all over the league that have heard that James Harden may have a wandering eye this summer, which is why you know I wrote that last week. Um, and I think... It's also a, a situation more so that maybe it's not just Intel in all those situations, but the fact that those guys have all, maybe not Jalen Brown, but Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal have very clearly flirted with their futures in their respective situations in the past. And it's kind of like a breakup in a relationship. Once that idea is out there and floating in the ether, it's out there. It's still a possibility. Once the door has been opened, they could still decide to go exit through that door, even though they closed it momentarily. So with Damian Lillard, yes, he is, of course, at this point, entirely projected that he's got no plans to play elsewhere. Bradley Beal's situation, I think, is a lot more fluid. Um, I mean, the Athletic had a report kind of 
shine the microscope more closely on it than I did today. But, you know, my piece talked about with his um, impending free agency, um, you know, there clearly has, are strong indications that he wants to stick around in Washington because that extra Supermax, that five-year, that, that extra year, extra $60 million is speaking pretty loudly to him, which it would be to me as well. $60 million is quite a bit of money. Um, but just like what happened with Ben Simmons, and it's something that was talked about in Milwaukee when Giannis first re-signed his Supermax. These guys are starting to, and people in the agent world are discussing the feasibility of just requesting a trade and getting where you want to go pretty liberally right now. I mean, James Harden pulled it off in Houston to get to Brooklyn, kind of like that. The next guy who wants to do it, who isn't Ben Simmons, like the typical time to do it is when you are facing the end of your contract, right? Anthony Davis got his way to the Lakers, just like James Harden did uh, to Houston. Like Russell Westbrook has been able to kind of move around because of how much money he has, but also the fact that um, his deal is kind of getting closer, I think makes it more fluid for the Lakers being that they're stuck with him, yada, yada. But 2023 in Laker land and free agency world is a blink of an eye away. So I think it's the Sixers are definitely putting, to bring this back to the Ben Simmons conversation, they are definitely putting a lot of chips on the table and gambling on an if, on a possibility rather than, because even if they have, if, if even if James Harden is calling, which I'm not saying this is happening, please do not aggregate this. Whoever's listening out there, this is a hypothetical. I'm not uh, uh, making claims of tampering, but even if James Harden is calling Daryl Morey and saying, I'm coming to sign with you today or in the summer, he's telling them that today, if the Nets end up winning the championship and they win it easily with this historic offense that Kevin Durant comes back and Kyrie Irving as a part-time player is effective Maybe he just decides to stick around again. You know, these are, these are humans. This is human nature. And these guys, whether they make $260 million like Bradley Beal or like a, a casual NBA fan listening to us, we're all privy to change our minds. So that's the difficulty also in this star hunting game because you're hoping that you can have an opening and an opportunity and your assets all aligned to go and get that star at the exact precise moment that they want to come somewhere else and maybe want to come to you. Yeah, it, it's all fascinating to me. And look, Daryl may play this out and it may play out perfectly. And he ends up with James Harden, who will be, I think James is what, 32 right now? Is that? I think so. 32, 32. 32? Yeah. So you're going to sign a big deal on a 33-year-old um, guard uh, who's had conditioning issues, uh, let's just put it that way, um, in the past. And and, and you're replacing him with a 25 from, from a 25 year old all-star who I, I, and again, I know people hate Ben Simmons now and they think he's a terrible basketball player, but this, this guy was a all defensive uh, team NBA player. Who's 25 years old. Who's made all-star teams. I, I, I don't think Ben Simmons is a terrible player. I think he's being underrated um, right now. If that's the best outcome that they have, I'm not sure it's better than the deals that they might've potentially gotten from Sacramento or Indiana or, or, um, you know, other teams that, that were out there. What do you think is the best Ben Simmons deal in your, in your mind? Like what, what's the best Ben Simmons deal that's realistically out there? You know, I've been saying this a lot this week as the Bradley Beal conversation has kind of shifted to a bit of the forefront of these rumor calls. Um, If I'm the wizards, I am taking Philly's call 
and I'm seeing how much I can get back in addition to Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal. Because as much as he wants and has been signaling he, he wants to take that extra $60 million and stick around in Washington and, you know, go off into the sunset with the only franchise that he's ever played for that drafted him on his birthday. Like he's been on the fence and waffling about his future there for two years now. And if there is the possibility that he does still request a trade, even after he gets this money, which I would think after he signs with me, the possibility of him requesting a trade one day dramatically increases. Why am I giving Bradley Beal $60 million more than any other team can offer him? If he's just going to leave me in, in 12 months, that's where that's where my head would be if I am Washington because I'd be very curious to see what building around Ben Simmons in uh, a market that isn't exactly sports talk radio Philadelphia New York Boston and the Northeast where you know the Sixers had a lot of success everyone probably recalls at the end of that I think it was the 18-19 season when Embiid was hurt they won like 18 straight games and it was like a five out kind of run and gun offense kind of showtime like with magic, right? With Ben running up and down the court in the center with four shooters around him. You could build something like that in DC with all the wings that the Wizards have, the two-way kind of shooters that they've tried to draft with Rui Hachimura and Danny Avdia and Corey Kispert. Um, you know, Thomas Bryant is a bit on the trade block right now, but he's a big man and Daniel Gaffer as well, who've kind of shown um, some shooting abilities. Like, especially where in DC, where there isn't a championship or bust mentality in, throughout the history of the Wizards organization, right? If you could rehab him into and, and in mind and in body and in spirit, right? That's kind of, that's what he's been saying all along. He needs. If you can do that in a market that doesn't necessarily have this championship bullseye on on his back, as opposed to you know a side and trade with James Harden that would put Ben Simmons in Brooklyn alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. To have him in Washington where the expectations are low, I mean, they're, they're not even in the play-in tournament conversation right now. If he could turn them into an eight seed, that city would prop him up like a prophet coming to save them, you know? So to me, that seems like the perfect outcome for the for a lot of situations, for Brad, for Ben, for Philly, for Washington. Um, I haven't heard there's been any real progress there of late, but that to me would seem to be a perfect outcome for a lot of parties and a lot of actors involved. I actually really like that. That that's the outcome that I I think is by far the best outcome for Philadelphia, and uh, I, I'm compelled by the idea of of Ben Simmons in in Washington and and being able to restart. Uh, I, I actually really like that. That's uh, I haven't seen a lot of what I I feel like are great outcomes, and maybe that's the best one. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that can get done uh, by 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 the trade deadline or or maybe this summer, but. I agree with you that that does seem to be a more ideal fit for Philadelphia, just in part because of Bradley Beal's age compared to James Harden or uh, to to Damian Lillard. Those guys might be better players than Bradley Beal, but the age thing would concern me if I was Philadelphia uh, for sure. All right. That's Ben Simmons talk. There's lots of other uh, trades talk to talk about. So we're going to dive into the rest of that. But before we do so, I want to talk about Rock Auto. 
This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts when a chain store or car dealership Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years they have everything you could need brake parts tail lamps motor oil and even new carpet go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com Okay. Well, there's a trade world outside of Philadelphia. And as Jake pointed out, the chances of Ben Simmons getting moved seem much lower than a lot of other guys that are on the trade uh, block right now. Uh, I caused quite a stir in Detroit yesterday uh, by proposing a Jeremy Grant for Patrick Williams uh, swap. Uh, if you will, and in part because I included Sadiq Bey uh, in the trade, in part because I don't think the Bulls are budging on Patrick Williams just for Jeremy Grant. I, I don't think that that's a deal that makes sense. And you know, one of the hard things about proposing trades or talking about trades, I've found over the years, and especially on Twitter, is is fans overrate the players that are on their team, and they underrate every other player that exists out there in the world. So all of this, Sadiq Bey is better than Patrick Williams. I'm like, let's just for a second. Patrick Williams was the fourth pick in the draft. Detroit, uh, Troy Weaver was very, very high on Patrick Williams. That would have been their selection had they had they had the pick at the fourth pick in the draft. He's 20 years old. Sadiq Bey is 22 years old. Was the 19th pick uh, in the draft. Bulls fans would be doing backflips even if this summer they were able to trade Jeremy Grant uh, and the 19th pick in the draft uh, for the fourth pick in the draft. But uh, it, it, so it's interesting to me. And, and by the way, Pistons fans got really upset two months ago when I said, I think Jeremy Grant will be traded, uh, you know, period. Jeremy Grant, first of all, seems to be one of the names that's most likely to be traded by the trade deadline. Do you think he gets traded? And where do, who do you think is the front runner uh, for Jeremy Grant? So I have started to think that he might not get dealt, being that there hasn't seemed to be any real development. In terms of like, there's been a ton of teams that have reached out, right? New York, the Lakers, Utah, Chicago, as you mentioned. Um, Minnesota definitely checked in on him. I know Indiana made calls there. Sacramento as well. Atlanta had conversations. But there hasn't been, I mean, from my understanding, and again, we are still a little over a week away. There hasn't been much serious frameworks that have been thrown around in those scenarios. Um, there have been in several for several of those, but from there hasn't been a standpoint where you know Jeremy Grant is up for a four-year extension over $100 million this summer. And if you're trading for him, you have to trade for him in the knowledge that you are going to be willing to pony up that much money. But still, in those trade conversations, I'm comfortable saying this because it's not out alleging tampering. You know, teams can bring in an agent into the fold and kind of communicate in a way that allow I mean, 
it's a trade, right? It's a way to benefit all parties involved. Um, those conversations haven't been had yet. I can say that pretty confidently. So um, there's also, you know, been talk, Mark Stein, our buddy wrote about it in terms of the split in decision in the decision tree there with Arn Tellum versus Troy Weaver in, in certain aspects. And, um, you know, I don't know too, too much to further um, expound on what Mark's written, but I definitely think that there are some people in that franchise who really do want to keep Jeremy Grant and, and they feel like him choosing them and for agency over Denver in 2020's free agency period was kind of a, a signal of his commitment to wanting to be the guy to help bring this this team and this franchise back into a playoff reality. To have a guy like that on board and locked in again to another four-year deal where the cap will theoretically only be going up after the next television deal. He's still only 28 years old, I believe. Pretty good. That is a, that is a chance. 27, be, I think. Yeah. That, yeah. That is a chance to be another really strong value contract like the one he's on at present, which makes him um, such an easy trade candidate, right? He's only about a $20 million salary compared to a Ben Simmons or a Russell Westbrook, a lot easier to fit him into a lot of teams books. So there's, I mean, his next deal would still kind of max out at like $28 million. So um, I think that's still a piece that, De that Detroit would really like to have. And they're going to have to get wowed, I think, in order to move him. I, I was comparing him to the Aaron Gordon uh, uh, last year's trade deadline where he ended up, you know, they get the, the magic sparked a bidding war with Minnesota and Boston and Portland before he ultimately went to Denver. But that package of RJ Hampton, a, a recent first-round pick, a future 2025 first-round pick, and Gary Harris – I think that the Pistons are looking for more. I think they're looking for at least two first round picks um, and a young player, or maybe they can haggle about that capital, depending on how good that young player is like a Patrick Williams. But Patrick Williams, to your point earlier, way higher prospect than RJ Hampton. I, I, I was going to say Barrett, RJ Hampton. Yeah. So um, I, I'm now starting to become skeptical that teams are going to be willing to reach the asking price that Detroit has for him. But again, things can change and um, there could be, there could be a change inside the uh, things internally in Detroit where they do decide, you know, we don't want to actually lock ourselves into his contract. We've got this big free agency um, period ahead of us where we're the only team that has real cap space that everyone out there, DeAndre and Jalen Brunson, Colin Sexton, they're always being linked as, oh, well, what if Detroit throws them a restricted, you know, max contract? That's always a hypothetical brought up. Um, you know, maybe they don't want to limit themselves financial flexibility wise for when that next piece that they want to add to their rebuild becomes available. I don't know. I, I think it is very fluid. So to answer your question, I'm going to put it at I really do think it's close to 50 50. I'll say 60 40 that he gets traded. OK, OK. Uh, let's go to the Bulls. Did they use their chip, which I think is Patrick Williams? I think that's their chip uh, to try to go all in this year. Uh, they, there definitely is a gap there at the power forward position. They, they need to address it. Um, they've, they've wrestled with injuries, but it, it does appear that Lonzo Ball will be back before the playoffs and what have you. Um, DeMar DeRozan is having a, out of his mind best season of his career but you can't necessarily expect that to be every year for him do they do they cash in patrick williams who i know they don't want to trade and who they're very very high on and they should be i, I think he's a real talent and i i frankly think detroit 
my my own mind would be crazy not to try to add him with Cade Cunningham to a, a young team. But you know, fair enough if they're going to make other calculations there. You think the Bulls make a deal before the trade deadline and try to go all in for a championship this year? I, I agree with everything you just said. Patrick Williams is, I think, by far their best trade chip that they would theoretically have on their list of assets. And from the people I've talked to with Chicago, it's been made very clear to me that they are not going to consider moving him unless it's for the piece, not a piece, the piece that they think will push them to that championship. You know, I'm, I'm very happy for DeMar DeRozan. I think the intel was pretty clear dating back to last year's trade deadline that he had a goal of getting back to the Eastern Conference this season to increase his likelihood of becoming an all-star. And he's become a legitimate MVP candidate. So kudos to him for, for kind of bouncing back from a little bit of obscurity in San Antonio. People weren't realizing how good he was down there. He was he turned into a he was averaging like eight assists a game. Like he was kind of a guy who learned how to control the whole entire floor in a half court offense. So I'm not surprised that he's done this well. I'm surprised that the team has done this well and the, the pieces have all fit so fantastically. I thought they'd be in the mix for the four seed, which they kind of are, but now they're also in the mix for that top seed, right? So um, you know, take your hat off there. I, th- I think they're only at this point, from what I've heard in terms of serious conversations, I think they're only really looking at adding another reserve guard. Um, you met, you mentioned obviously the injuries to Lonzo and Caruso. I think that's also Kobe White's played pretty well this year, but he's someone that, that he's, he's about to enter uh, for agency or he's got his extension. I, there's so many guys I can't keep, keep it all track, but he's either he's up for a big payday soon, whether this summer or for an extension for next. And from my intel, from you know, he wasn't drafted by this Arturis Karnasovas front office, and I don't think they were especially high on him when they took over that franchise. So his name's come up. And Io, their their second Io Desumo, who their second exactly. round pick has just been incredible uh, for rookie in the, the second round last night. He is unbelievable. The confidence that he's playing with yeah. is impressive. So. Yeah, and completely missed on him. By the way, in the draft, I thought I thought it was a second round pick. I certainly, yeah. I, you know, I th- if the redraft happened today, he he goes in the lottery based yeah. off of what we've seen in the shooting and uh, really the playmaking is incredible. I think last night he had something like nine nine assists and one one turnover. Yeah. Uh, it's um, it's incredible. All right, let's pivot. I get tons of complaints from my Knicks readers that I just don't do enough Knicks. Uh, but then when I do Knicks, they're like, "Oh, Knicks for clicks." Um, all right, but let's let's talk about the Knicks disappointing season after what they had last year. Julius Randle just not having the season that he had a year ago. They've already made a deal for Cam Reddish. I I think Knicks fans are frustrated with that deal because they haven't really figured out a a space in the rotation for Cam Reddish yet. I'm not sure that Cam Reddish is a Tom Thibodeau type of player to begin with, which, you know, is a question mark whether Tibbs is ever going to feel inclined to give Reddish much run. But is this a minor deal for the Knicks to kind of clear some space for Cam Reddish? I know you wrote a little bit about this uh, today uh, in, in your column. Is there a bigger deal for the Knicks to try to get back into the mix of being in the seriously in the playoff hunt? Uh, what do you think happens in New York? I think it's a minor deal. Um, I, I would suspect Neurons Noel is probably the most likely name to get moved. Uh, Kemba probably second. I think Alec Burks probably is the easiest to get moved, but I think the Knicks probably, and Tom Thibodeau especially, uh, probably value him the most of that group. So that's why I think he'd be more difficult to imagine getting dealt. But when I've talked to rival teams, Alec Burks has probably been 
characterized to me as, as seeming to have the highest value amongst that core. But you're right. I, th I think there, there's intel out there about that, you know, maybe Tom Thibodeau wasn't necessarily gung-ho about bringing on Cam Reddish. Not that he didn't want to bring him in there, but um, this it definitely screams value play by a front office that has been pretty conservative, right? They've held their picks. They haven't spent too much outside of Julius Randle. It, it, it screams of an opportunity to just try to scoop up Cam Reddish, a former lottery pick like a baby bird, and nurse him back to health. Um, and when, why not? He, he's shown clear uh, flashes of, of brilliance, you know, in the playoffs and top high school prospect back in the day. He went to Duke alongside Zion and RJ Barrett. Like, that's also a connection that, you know, they have two of those three Duke guys. And obviously, the Knicks' interest in potentially, you know, bringing Zion back to the garden has been out there far and wide for, I think, probably before he even entered the league, right? Um, so I think that was a, a factor of the Reddish deal. But Tom Thibodeau has never been uh, keen on just giving rookies playing time. You know, I think that's part of why the Quentin Grimes story is so fun this year. Like, to see a rookie break through the Tom Thibodeau rotation is kind of such an exciting thing for a fan base to watch. And he earned it, right? Like Tom Thibodeau hypes him up. That guy, you know, he he, he did his he, – he brought his lunch pail and he, he carved his way into my spot. So um, Cam Reddish not necessarily been that type of player in his career. He is in Atlanta because he just wanted playing time – or he's in, he's in New York because he just wanted playing time in Atlanta. So, yeah, I, I definitely think New York is ripe to make a deal on the margins to create some playing time for Cam Reddish. All right, he's Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report, also the author of Built to Lose. I've got a few more names, a few more teams to talk about, but first I want to talk about Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. It's yours is about getting fit or eating healthier. Make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easy to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it, unlike other pro protein bars that are chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you're thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are 100% real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and even 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 3 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs. So, even if you're not a huge fan of working out or eating healthy, this is just good for you and it's delicious. And there's so many flavors to choose from. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, coconut cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, many more. In fact, Built Bar is always coming up with new and limited flavors. So check out Built.com uh, often to see what's new. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKEDON and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Jake Fisher. Bleacher Report, coming back, we've talked Knicks, we've talked 76ers, we've talked Wizards a little bit, we've talked about the Chicago Bulls, the Detroit Pistons. What's going on in Atlanta? They've already made one deal with Cam Reddish. John Collins has been uncomfortable with his role um, in Atlanta, and there seems to be some discontent there that's that's last ever since he didn't really get the extension um, that he thought he deserved. 
Atlanta's been disappointing this year as well. Do they make a big move with John Collins before the trade deadline? Again, I think with Jeremy Grant, I was really thinking, and it started to sound like he was very likely to get dealt. And now that momentum has seemed to kind of been walked back a little bit. I think Atlanta was making, I mean, I, I was told Atlanta was making outgoing calls, you know, which is always interesting, right? You mentioned earlier about how when we're talking about these deal negotiations and, and, and fans get kind of crazy about it, it is important about which team offered. And if it was an offer, if it was just a framework that was discussed or, you know, and I, and I try to be very responsible and accurate in how um, we report these things. Cause I don't want to be inaccurate. That, that, that's the job. Um, so I, but I do think it's also interesting and it is important and noteworthy when a team like Atlanta, instead of telling teams, no, 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 we're not even listening about John which I don't, I don't think they ever were, but that's a whole lot different. And the opposite end of the scale is when they're picking up the phone and calling teams and saying, hey, what would be your best offer for John Collins? And that happens for a lot of very good players that don't become public because sometimes it's quiet and they only call a couple of teams, a couple of their closest friends maybe in other front offices who they know will keep it quiet. Um, but when it gets loud like John or Jeremy – um, or Miles Turner or DeMontis Savonis, that's because it's happening in a lot of situations around the league. So because of that, like I think the, the possibility of him getting dealt still remains somewhat high, but it doesn't sound like a shoe. And, it, and especially after they won seven straight games, you know, they lost to Toronto, and that's a team that's right ahead of them in the playing standings, and that kind of was a big game uh, to drop in terms of you know, also like – narratives as much as they are a factor in our media storytelling like they do impact decision making too like if the if the hawks had gone on to win 13 straight heading you know, heading into thursday that's that's going to be weighing on their conscious of, of what to do versus having won seven straight or, or one you know eight of their last 10 like that is a big difference um in terms of how confident they are how much ownership is willing to do so i still think that situation remains fluid I do think it really could go either way, which I know is a hedge. Um, but the, also the teams like Dallas that have long been considered a Collins suitor, like I don't think there's really been a serious framework discussed there. Sacramento is a team that's involved in all these situations, right? Like if they go get Demonis Sabonis, they can't get Jeremy Grant or John Collins or vice versa. If they get Jeremy or John, they can't get the other two. So um you can't just like pencil one of these guys into Sacramento and then think that there's still an opportunity for those other players. So I think um, the thing with John is there might just be too limited of a trade field and too few buyers that are out there. Um, but I do think Atlanta still is very open to listening and that they, they will continue to explore those possibilities until the 10th. I think he's a really great name that's out there, 24 years old. Uh, I, I locked up in a, a, a good deal. Analytics love him. Uh, I, I think he has some legitimate concerns about how he's been used uh, in Atlanta and, and some, some other team may be able to unlock him. You led your column uh, today on DeMontis Sabonis, uh, who it, it seems likely that Indiana is going to do something. I think we thought Miles Turner might be the guy. The injury to Miles Turner has obviously complicated things. This is another front office that has a real tension between a head coach that wants to be uh, have a team that's a playoff contender and a general manager and Kevin Pritchard who has been a gunslinger in the past at trade deadlines and, and really likes to make moves and probably isn't afraid to rebuild a team that frankly 
you know, is going to top out as what a six, six, seventh seed uh, in the Eastern Conference if everything sort of goes their way. Is uh, is Sabonis the guy now? Uh, and do you think that Indiana ends up making a making a deal before the trade deadline? So Miles Turner, from what I was told, had a recent scan on his foot, and it does seem like he will be ready to come back pretty shortly after the All Star break, by, by probably early March, the latest. So that kind of I think I don't know if that that information is really out there yet. Um, but if that's real and, and if it continues to progress along those lines, like just like with the John Collins dynamic, the fact that we're 10 days or eight days away still from the deadline, I think is ideally from the Pacers and Mal Turner standpoint, only going to further teams confidence in his ability to return soon. So that's that I, I don't think he's definitely, you know, he's injured and he's ruled off the board for not being moved. I, but you're right. I mean, he was, I think, I think Turner could have been the early domino to have fallen in this trade market where he might have been moved in the last two weeks that just passed in late January because there was so much interest and the price for him was so much lower than that than DeMontis Sabonis. And he is a player that a lot of teams um, were convinced would be a big key piece for them. Charlotte, Minnesota, Dallas was having there sacramento portland that's four that's five teams we just named um so um i, I do think there's still a possibility he gets moved but yes the fact that the, the the market for him has has dimmed has definitely i think impacted their sabonis conversations because yeah sacramento is a sabonis suitor too you know so um there's been talk like i wrote about that bradley beal would like to play with the monta sabonis and the gonzaga connections between the wizards um, and Gonzaga and Mark Fee and Tommy Shepard are pretty deep, right? They've got Rui Hachimura and Corey Kispert, and they have Joe, Joe Oyayi on a two-way deal. Like, there's clear affinity for Gonzaga players, so all, all those little data points add up to make a nice, compelling story. Um, but I, I still would think that Sabonis is less likely to be moved. Um, I mean, it kind of changes every day. Like, yesterday I thought he was the most likely because I was really buying – the Wizards, you know, pitch here and how they could come in off the top rope and make a big deal. But I also don't know if, if the Wizards package is something that the Pacers would really want. I, th- I think the Pacers have a very high asking price for him. And if they're, if they want a new, a, a Nick Vucevic type deal, the, the Wizards don't have two first round picks to offer Chicago. So they're going to have to put in an additional young piece. So, you know, to go off that framework, it was Wendell Carter and two first, basically. So you're going to have to put two probably of Rui, Corey Kispert, Denny Avdia, plus an additional first, plus salary filler. Does that deal really give Indiana a lot of excitement to finally break up that Miles Turner, DeMontis, Sabonis pairing and giving up Sabonis, the one that the Pacers have clearly valued higher all along? I'm not so sure as much as that would probably be a nice swing for the Wizards. We've mentioned him several times, Sacramento Kings in danger of missing the playoffs for a 16th straight year. Uh, Howard Beck had tweet of, the, tweet of the week, month, when he pointed out that the, um, the Kings hadn't made the playoffs in the iPhone era. Uh, so there, you know, there was flip phones that were still uh, being used by all of us uh, the last time the Kings made the playoffs. Clearly, there's motivation there. Uh, Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, uh, Marvin Bagley, names that we hear most often. Feels like 
there was some flirting with Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox. They seem to have backed away from that. And I at least have one source in Sacramento that says Tyrese Halliburton especially is is not going to be moved um, in a deal. Maybe Davion Mitchell is a, is a chip that Sacramento has if they need to sweeten the deal. Because I don't think there's a, a rabid market for Marvin Bagley. I don't think there's a rabid market for Buddy Heald. Harrison Barnes maybe a little bit, but uh, of the names that we've talked about, less so than uh, pretty much everybody else we've talked about. Does Sacramento get a deal done? Sacramento will do something. And I think Sacramento is interesting, just like Portland and Indiana, being that they can buy and sell, right? They could sell Harrison Barnes to a, a contender like the Jazz, get a first-round pick and something else, while also packaging – Darren Fox, maybe, and other things. Rashawn Holmes, Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley to go and get a guy like DeMontis Zabonis, John Collins, Jeremy Grant. They can go a number of different directions, but I think their ultimate goal clearly is to try to get better and, and make it into that playing tournament. That, that was something that was absolutely discussed when they fired Luke Walton and they elevated Alvin Gentry to interim head coach. They had clear goals on hoping Alvin Gentry would reignite that offense, reignite De'Aaron Fox, and have them run fast-breaking all the way back to the playing tournament. But it has not unfolded. And I think there's definite pressure for them to do something, not job-saving pressure. I think you know it's still pretty early in Monty McNair's tenure there, but it is year two. And a lot of GMs don't get much long, longer than three. So at this point, like you have to start thinking about big swings being how far out of the playing picture that they are. And I do think that there is still, as much as the reports have come out that they've taken De'Aaron Fox off the table, I do still think that there are conversations. I mean, I don't think they're serious. I don't think it's likely at all. I think there's a very small chance he, he does get dealt. But I still think that they're having conversations about De'Aaron Fox and pretty much everyone on that roster outside of Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. You know, I think the interesting thing with the Kings, again, it's sometimes about managing expectations. And I, and I think the Kings did a terrible job of managing expectations this summer. They were telling other teams, their front office telling other teams that not only were they making the playoffs this year, that they were going to be a contender. Um, and, you know, it's so wildly off. And this is another case of overvaluing your guys and undervaluing other guys that, um, you know, Sacramento just, I, I, the franchise is cursed. Um, and that's what they get for moving from Kansas City. Uh, <laughs> this is the guy from Kansas City. Okay. Uh, all right. So I'm going to throw out one more wild one. My, my editors always get mad. They're like, you should do this at the beginning, not at the end. But um, hopefully this will be a payoff for people that have set f- through 45 minutes of this podcast so far. Does Utah, with Danny Ainge now in charge, and and we know that Danny Ainge is fearless, did they trade Rudy Gobert? Um, with Joe Inglis out you know, for the year, that's a big blow to that franchise. They don't have a lot of other trade chips that are really out there. Uh, you look at the teams that Danny has constructed in the past. They're not built around centers the way that, that Utah is. There is a a ongoing debate, even in Utah, about whether the Jazz can win a championship. There's fears that they're going to lose Donovan Mitchell um, at, at some point in Utah. Does Danny Ainge go crazy um, at this point and surprise everybody by taking the best defender in the NBA, 
I, I think that's clear about Rudy. I think he's been undervalued in a lot of ways and try to remake this roster um, on on the fly. That's that's my if there's one sort of trade that comes out of left field, that's the one that I see coming out because I, I, I know Danny uh, and I, I know how restless he can be. And if he does not think that this team is going to be a championship contender, um, you make the deal by selling high, not, not selling low. That has been Danny and his calling card. You are correct. I mean, we think of Isaiah Thomas right off the top of the bat. Um, I mean, even the Paul, even the Paul Pierce KG deal, right? Um, but my understanding is, I don't think Danny is necessarily in the Jazz front office right now, commanding the room, standing on top of a table, and saying he is. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my read. Yeah, he's 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 in. He's in. I I've been under the impression he's still on the golf course and he's he's overseeing things and. If and when a situation came to it, he would have final say, but that he's not necessarily in the trenches day to day making moves right now. We'll see how things evolve eventually. Um, I mean, I could be wrong. You could be right. The Donovan Mitchell stuff has definitely been, I mean, in the ether for, I mean, since he got there, right? There, there aren't too many players from New York City. Um, and there aren't too many African-Americans in the NBA who are dying to go live in Salt Lake City. Let's just be honest. It's been a thing that has kind of been an unfortunate uh, aspect from a team-building standpoint that the Jazz have had to kind of fight against for their entirety of their franchise. It's just it is a, it is a true fact about building a, a team of primarily young black men in America in today's day and age. It just is what it is. Um, so they've done everything they can to further diversify their staff. They brought in a lot of people of color um, in front office roles and coaching staff roles. Um, they've done what they can to cater to Donovan Mitchell in terms of bringing on his buddy Eric Paschal. Um, Royce O'Neal is another player on that team who was very close with Donovan and they're represented by the same agent. His name has not been brought up as frequently in trade conversations in their quest to add defensive talent on the perimeter as much as uh, Bojan Bogdanovic's and Joe Engel's names have. Like, I don't think that's a coincidence either. In, in fact, someone this summer told me that it's not a coincidence. Um, so they've, they've done what they can to try to build a winner and a comfortable culture for Donovan around Donovan. The Dwayne Wade ownership, If I, I don't know if I – I don't think I mentioned that yet. I mean, someone that they've clearly both gone – on the record time and again about their close relationship and how important uh, Dwayne's mentorship has been uh, for Donovan. So I think, I don't think the alarm bells are going off just yet about him, have him being a flight risk. He's under contract for a long period of time. And sure, as I mentioned earlier with Brad and the Ben Simmons trade request era that we're in, like every team has fears that one day their star is going to wake up and say, get me out of here. But that's why they do all this stuff and bend over backwards to try to make these guys comfortable and happy. And I think any I, I think any conversation about them splitting up those two is premature right now, especially with his injury showing Rudy Gobert's injury showing how integral he really has been for that defense, right? They went what? They lost eight straight games and fell to 29th in defensive rating or something like that with Rudy on the shelf. So I think for now, this group, the intel all along on the trade deadline 
front has been that the Jazz are looking for a wing defensive upgrade to bolster this unit and in, in hopes that they won't have to come face this question that, that we're asking right now. But it's February. June's not very far away in the, in the grand scheme of things. I'm not, but look, listen, Jazz fans, if you're freaking out, I'm not reporting that I've heard that they're trading him or that this is any sort of high probability. It's just the one name that I'm out there and just piecing together little pieces about Danny Ainge that if it happened, I think it would be a seismic shock throughout the NBA, but I would be less shocked. And so hopefully our um, listeners will be less shocked. If we get there this summer, the situation, just like I, I said, I think a great outcome for the Brad Ben thing would be a swap there. I would love to see a Rudy Gobert Gordon Hayward swap, which would set, obviously send Gordon back to Utah. The, the, the Hornets have been looking for a center for so long. I haven't heard that been discussed again, to your point, like you said. Um, but if we get to a point in the summer where the Jazz are open to making some type of change, I think I think that'd be pretty fascinating. I think that jazz fans would want a lot more than that for Rudy. So um, that, that will be interesting. But yeah, it would be interesting to see that um, come back. Jake's been crushing it. Make sure you follow him. Uh, his Twitter's right there. Jake L. Fisher uh, on Twitter. He's been as active as Woj and Shams right now and getting out there with all of the, the great uh, detail. And, and the one thing that I'm just going to say that I really like about you and I, and I know for reporters, this is a hard thing. And I, I had to face this a lot earlier in my career when I was doing a lot of NBA reporting. It's, it takes a lot more courage for a reporter to report discussions than it is saying, hey, this deal is close or imminent. Like there's one thing about breaking deals as they happen because the level of confidence goes up pretty high when they say like we're you know in deep, deep conversations, whatever. It's harder because so much of the stuff that you report will not come to fruition. And it leads to Twitter people coming back and saying, oh, you're full of crap, that you know this is all BS. When the truth is there's lots of trade conversations that are happening out there, most of which don't come to fruition. But I think as, a, as an NBA fan, my feeling is always, I would like to know. Even if it doesn't happen, I think it's interesting. It's actually fun to sort of understand what's going out there. But a lot of reporters shy away from the work that you've been doing, which is, reporting about conversations that aren't particularly far along um, in the process that most of the time will likely not come to fruition. And so I just appreciate the courage. It's It's been a fun read to read your column every week. Um, and as somebody who has been in this business a long time, I know that you take some flack back from people that's saying that's unrealistic or that's not going to happen. Or you said this guy to this team this week, and now you're saying it this week. But but that's the nature of this and the conversations that you have with general managers and agents and um, and, and scouts and what have you. And, and I, I just think you're doing a great job. So I uh, really highly recommend to all of our listeners, make sure you go check him out at Bleacher Report. And if you really want to deep dive and understanding um, how Jake built some of these sources and everything else, make sure you check out his book, Built to Lose. Uh, it's really an awesome read and uh, it's definitely worth uh, a read as soon as the trade deadline's over and things slow down a little bit. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, thank Thanks, you so Jake. much for having me. Thanks for the kind words. And uh, it means a lot coming from you. Thank you. All right, you've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Enjoy the trade deadline. Aloha. Aloha. 